0: Welcome to New Books in Food. I'm your moderator and my name is Valerie St. Rossi. Today I'm very pleased to be speaking with Jeff Kohler about his book, Where the Wild Coffee Grows The Untold Story of Coffee from the Cloud Forests of Ethiopia to Your Cup. It was published by Bloomsbury in 2017. Jeff, welcome to New Books in Food. Thanks. The first question. I have is, is life possible without coffee? <laughs> not for me. <laughs> um, and and not for, you
1: know, a lot of people. Um, as I kind of write in the book, I mean, there's really no other substance that kind of holds sway over the human experience like coffee. You know, uh, I, I quote somebody in the book who said, essentially, you know, if it's not indispensable to man's happiness, then it certainly contributes a, a good deal to it. Uh, I think very few people would argue that conceit, and I know that many, including myself, would take it much, much further.
0: Well, further. Why don't we go a little further since you brought that up? Is it um, is it simply gastronomical, or is it other, other as well?
1: No, I mean it's there's so many elements of it, but um, you know I. I make in quite a few cups a day, actually. Um, I probably prepare at least four or five cups a day. And certainly, I don't actually finish any of those. That's quite rare. You know, to start with is the entire process of preparing coffee um, that I like and is is part of that ritual. And so, you know, you, you start with that. Because I work at home, um, it's often an excuse to get up from my desk and to, you know, go in the kitchen and make coffee and, you, you know. It starts there, um and it you know, it ends at the taste, but it's just so much more than that the the simple fact of being, you know, a beverage or a caffeinated beverage. Of course the caffeine is a really important part of coffee's historical importance and why it is the center of, you know, many, many great things that kind of help drive, you know, uh, in you know, kept you awake or inspiration, whatever. I mean there's so many parts to it. Um
0: uh, so in other words, you're not like um Flaubert with his um, Forty cups per day no,
1: not fully, but i I do get a, a fair amount and when I was working on the book in ethiopia um i I was drinking a lot of coffee, and you know i you know you're and, and every night, your heart of heart i 'm going to sleep you 're so wound up on the caffeine and and of course everything you've been doing and seeing and talking about and experiencing but there's endless cups of coffee you know in ethiopia it's such a social drink but this is one of the things that i, I clearly saw the first time i went um compared to many modern coffee shops today is that coffee is 100 percent social drink you know coffee is not uh, drunk alone uh it's usually other people and second meetings um always have coffee, and so you you know when you're there you're you you tend to drink a lot because you're with you' very social culture and with a lot of people um and that's that's something that I really actually appreciated was this this social element of coffee and if you compare it to going into many cafes today and it's just quiet and everybody's staring at their screens. Um, and you make you know too much noise people kind of glare at you um you know that's a very different element um than i say ethiopia but also th- that social element of of coffee drinking and cafes and coffee houses i mean that is where it began um you know the original coffee house was a very social place it was a very noisy place it wasn't an extension of an office by any stretch of the imagination
0: and those first uh, coffee houses or in the early 1500s, weren't they? Uh, you say in your book, they began in Aden and in Mecca.
1: Yeah, and then it, they started um, spreading up around, you know, in Cairo and Damascus and Baghdad and Istanbul. I think the first one in Istanbul was around 1555. Um, you know, at, at that time, restaurants, you know, didn't really exist. Um, and they were places where people could go and, and socialize. And this was the beginning of coffee's kind of popularity. Um, and they, they spread quite quickly. You know, in Istanbul, there was something like 600 coffee houses within simply two decades. Um, they, they spread to Europe, uh, quite quickly. And, and in England, for instance, they, they were a great, um, option instead of the pub, you know, that that for, for, for many reasons, but one is, you know, with ale, it just kind of dulled your intellect, um, where coffee had the opposite effect, you know, it made you smarter and brighter and sharper and wittier. And you know, the, the the great English coffee houses um with people like, you know, Milton and Boswell and Samuel Johnson and and you know all these these great poets and politicians they they met and they gathered in these coffee houses and you know the the it was this place to be, but the coffee itself, that caffeine, you know, made them somehow brighter, which the, you know, the pub next door kind of made you duller.
0: It's an interesting contrast, and I believe that that was the birth of Lloyd's in London. Lloyd's was first a coffee house, wasn't it? Hmm.
1: Yeah. The, the you know the, the coffee houses they, they were um, uh, were the center. I mean, they they started many things. A lot of you know newspapers began there, or, or a lot of things kind of began. People kind of clustered around these coffee houses.
0: And we are talking about how coffee spread. But your book explains to us how, where coffee comes from, and the things that we don't know about the beginning of coffee, Ethiopia, and the cloud forest. Please tell us a little about that.
1: Um, certainly, the the center of origin and diversity, as they say, um, is the cloud forest of of Ethiopia. So basically, just the back of one small step, there's basically two widely um, cultivated uh, species of coffee, Arabica, which is what we're talking about today, and Robusta, which is a, a much more tropical thing. So talking about fine coffee and good coffee, we're talking about Arabica. So. The the center of origin diversity of Arabica Coffee is in these cloud forests of Ethiopia, predominantly in the southwest of the country, a couple hundred miles from Addis Ababa. Um, and today, the core of the wild coffee forest kind of fall within this region known as Kaffa. And so this is an isolated region um, of valleys and dense forests and kind of hamlets. The people are subsistence farmers um, by and large. Um, they they forage for coffee in the wild. They grow it in the gardens. You know, as I write, they buy it, they sell, they, they hoard until the prices go up. Um, and in the meantime, they're drinking a, a lot of coffee. And it for the people in the highlands, where, where it does grow wild, it's really in in coffee. It's it's 100% of the population is kind of um, gets its main source of income from coffee. So this is the, the the origin, but this still today is a real Eden of coffee. It's you know still grows in the wild. People still forage for it, um, and it's as I argue in the book, not only the source of coffee as a plan, but it's the world's original coffee culture.
0: And I think uh, that you you mentioned that in Ethiopia, coffee is called, this is our bread. Coffee is our bread.
1: Well, I mean, it's certainly there all the time. Um, and it, it's just so much of a part of life. Um, and Kaffa and this area where it grows wild is 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 an extreme version of that. I mean, they're, they're drinking, you know, eight or nine cups a day. Uh, they start giving it to kids as soon as they start walking. Um, in the, the coffee is is just always present. Um, you know, if you if you smell or you hear it being prepared in this kind of elaborate process where they roast the beans first um you can simply go in and there'll always be a cup for you i mean there's they're always preparing extra um you know again it's it's at it's hard it's it's a social really important element you know it's really the glue that holds together a really large and diverse country and as like i said it's it's an extreme version of that is in this place where it it, it does grow wild in the forest also
0: i have uh a- a rather pedestrian question to bring up, which is people uh, are worried about drinking too much caffeine in the course of a day. It's the way you're describing Ethiopians that does not enter into the question. People in the West think, oh, caffeine will have a very bad effect on my health. Uh, That does not sound like uh, the thinking of Ethiopians. So which is true? Um, in this
1: in this area in Kafa that I'm describing, where the 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 wild coffee grows in the cloud forest, and this is a really you know poor area. You know, there's uh, if you live outside of the capital Bonga, you know, there's uh, no electricity and you know, no running water. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people have other issues to deal with um, health wise, maybe more pressing than too much caffeine. Um, I, I, I get asked that question all the time, but nobody when I was there they seemed to, you know, <laughs> think anything of it. It's, it's just part of, you know, their daily life in the pleasure and the importance of the, these small little cups of coffee that they're that they're drinking um, is absolutely uh, fundamental.
0: I was um, also informed when I was growing up that. If I drank coffee, it would stunt my growth. Have you ever heard that i I have to say that i did therefore did not drink any coffee, and I am five feet tall
1: uh i i have heard that but but i didn't i didn't come up on that um in from the scientific community when I was working on my book but i I could remember hearing that also um when I, when I was growing up
0: Where did that come from? I don't know. Not not from Ethiopia, correct?
1: I don't know. I I don't think so, no.
0: Well, the next thing I wonder if you could talk a little about is the cloud forest, the coffee uh kafia Arabica is misnamed. How did that happen?
1: Arabica means from Arabia. And indeed, um it was misnamed. Uh, that goes back uh, to the 1730s. Um, there was the the great Carlos Linnaeus. Um, uh, at that time, was a young Swedish botanist, um, still unknown, and he was in Amsterdam, and he he went to visit uh, somewhere in a estate about 30 kilometers, about 20 miles or so outside of Amsterdam, called to Camp, um, where the owner um, had this incredible. Um, summer place, and he had, had built four uh, greenhouses for plants from all over the world, and he had this incredible library, research library, and a world-class herbarium with thousands of these dried specimens, and um, Linnaeus at that time was was working on a system of, of classifying plants, um, and and Clifford was very impressed by, by him, and he offered him a job, um, and part of the job was to not only take care of the garden, but was to... Um, uh, catalog the collection to to prepare a record of its contents and this task was really interesting for Linnaeus Um, and so he started working on the living um, and the dried plants and and among the dried plants was coffee and um, so when Linnaeus was looking at it he rejected its previous classification which was a laurel and he made a new uh, genus for it which was cafea um he he left um Holland and went back to Sweden and continued to work on his system of of classifying um plants and then and, and animals. And um later kind of refined his his classification. Um and at that time it was believed that coffee was coming from Arabia and he thought the same and so when he uh gave it its official binominal name, um He named it Cafea Arabica, which means from Arabia. And this.
0: Why did he believe that?
1: Well, at at that point, um, very few historical documents um, pointed towards coffee source across the Red Sea. Um, Yemen. Uh, was and its port of Mocha for, you know, for 200 years was the had a monopoly, basically on selling coffee. You know, Yemen was the first place to cultivate coffee on the commercial scale. And, and this, and Arabia was also this.
0: I'm sorry. They got the plants from Ethiopia. Yemen was the
1: source of coffee's global spread. Um, so it, it, Even if it didn't originate in in Arabia, uh, it had played an incredibly important role in um, cultivated coffee. So essentially for two centuries, it had a near monopoly on selling the beans, but it it just became too popular not to spread. Um, And kind of by 1720 um, is when it peaked. And within three decades, uh, it was already growing on five continents. It, it, you know, it arabica grows easily and it spreads rapidly and it's uniform and stable and and in the right conditions it absolutely thrives. Um, you know, t- today it, it's cultivated in around forty countries or so that kind of stretch around the equator, kind of roughly between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. And if you're kind of a lot for you know nuances and in in, uh, in the way that you're producing it, and and so on, and and certain terroir. I mean, it's pretty familiar. You know, a cup of a you know arabica that's grown in Guatemala. You know, tastes generally speaking here quite similar to a cup from Kenya or from Tanzania if it's you know dried and roasted and brewed in in the same manner. Um, this
0: there is a there is a difference between the taste of robusta and the taste of arabica. Exactly.
1: So, it? robusta is.
0: As I said, there are two
1: main kinds of coffee, and um, Arabica is, you know, it's finer and it's it's just a much higher flavor. Um, Robusta is, you know, less mild and you know, in it's stronger. It's got a higher caffeine level, but it has this kind of burnt rubberish um, kind of flavor to it. It's tropical. Um, So it needs, you know, grows much lower elevation. Um, But it's, you know, as I said, when we talk about fine coffee, we're talking about Arabica, and it's still a majority of coffee that's grown. Um, Robusta is increasing, but uh, Arabica is still a majority of, of coffee produced.
0: Where did Robusta originate? uh well there's uh, a lot of it is around
1: uh, central africa somewhere in uganda there's some different kind of patches of it um but it, it's it's more of a kind of tropical african plant although there is a lot you know it it was taken out of africa and planted um in indonesia for instance uh, they grow a lot of it in in vietnam today um it it, it it, this past year was about forty percent of the global coffee was robusta,
0: and uh, the, ap- the uses for robusta are somewhat different industrially. Well, it, is, it has a
1: lot. It's a lot higher caffeine, and it's a Usually. lot um, uh, less expensive to produce. Uh, so you. Or, you know, they're using a lot of the caffeine in, in sodas and so on, but also it's it uses in blend. And I think what we're seeing is that it's being blended more and more and more into or with Arabica. So the pure Arabica, you know, coffee used to generally be pure Arabica, but I think now you're getting in the supermarket lots of blends and they're, they're putting some of this into it little by little. It seems to be increasing.
0: As a consumer of coffee, what is it that people don't know that they should know about the worldwide crop? About well, anything? That,
1: uh, well, there's two things I think that uh, that uh, you know again, hopefully, people get from this book. Um, one is your question earlier about the source and about its about its origins, looking at this original coffee culture. Um, for me, that was. You know, it, to start with is is that it's from Ethiopia, and you know, to tell that story out there um, about the forest and so on. But second is the idea that you know, that this was the original coffee culture. Um, for for me, um, it it never really made sense that you know, it normally it's the Turks or the Arabs that tend to get credit for developing or in, inventing coffee um where for me it it seemed like the people that you know those living in around the forest who grew it were were undoubtedly the first to prepare it you know the, these are forest people you know that they use or utilize every item in the forest um including including coffee you know these beautiful bright red very tempting fruits that when you you know take them in your mouth, they have kind of a little s- sweetness to them. And you have these two seeds or these two beans, um, and you have this kind of energizing effect from the caffeine. Um, the, the, the logical thing for me is that it, it began there. Um, and so in the forest, these wild forests, I asked a lot of questions about trying to get to that source um, and the, the old stories about where coffee kind of came from. And one thing that I found that was really interesting is that, you know, it probably began as a food, you know, people eating the, these coffee fruit, these we'll call cherries, these red, uh, ripe coffee fruits. Um, and eventually, you know, it came to the beans and eventually roasting the beans and you know, somebody said to me, you know, eventually we put everything on the fire. And as soon as you start roasting the coffee beans, you're eventually going to make kind of a drink out of it. But the, the other, Point that goes with that is that probably the first drink um, that came from the coffee tree was actually an infusion from the coffee leaves. You know they still make this kind of you know tisane with dried coffee leaves. It's long been pop- popular. It's you know you take you you have to think that you have these ripe coffee beans on the tree for say a month a year, but you have the leaves all year round. And they dry them, and then they they can kind of toast them in the pan, and they taste for me a little bit like uh, a real light pu'er. They're kind of an earthy flavor with this natural sweetness.
0: Sorry to interrupt. So in other words, coffee is really uh, a product of a primary environment. It would be uh, maybe the high the high mountain version of Amazonian. Uh, subsistence is growing on trees. We ha- we yeah, live I near mean, the trees. Yes, we the, eat it. You know, people we live in
1: forest, they, they utilize you know, what they have. I mean, just surviving takes an incredible amount of energy and, and, and effort. And you know, you're you're trying things, um, you know, over many many you know centuries and developing ways to utilize these forest products. You know, coffee is simply one uh, uh, plant in, the, in in the forest, and this is something that for me that was really interesting to see. Um, being in the forest was that you know, cultivated coffee um, is there because it's meant to be there. You know, it's planted. You know, it 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 produces fruit because it's supposed to produce fruit. In the forest, the wild coffee is there because it survived you know there's a lot of plants that want that space you know that that wants that light and those nutrients but that coffee tree that you're seeing it's there because it won that place in the forest you know it's it's a it's there because it survived um and 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 it has many You know, it has various roles. So you see these old coffee trees, they they tend to be quite skinny. They grow upwards towards light. Um, They're only producing enough coffee cherries to simply perpetuate the species i mean the energy goes into survival so they, they tend to be covered in moss you know, they, they have a role so you, you you have these trees covered in this you know kind of beardy moss that you know it, it, it basically the trees get wet it, it attracts some dirt eventually get mosses and so on and you know critters live in that moss you know it's it, it's um it's a host for you know pollinators and for insects. And so on. I mean, it has its role as it lives under this. You know, it's under the main canopy. It's a it's a second tier tree, but it definitely has its role uh, in the forest. And This is another element to, to me that I think people don't really understand is that you know coffee in this natural self produces actually quite little, and it, it's a it's a heavily shaded tree. It does not live in the in the, in the open
0: in other words the tree itself is um member of a community and it contributes lots to the forest community it isn't simply there for people to pick the berries
1: absolutely it, these are these are very very rich biodiverse and it's uh, elevated forests. isn't it arabica is a very sensitive plant that kind of grows within a relatively small band um elevation and so yeah th- these are highlands so these these are highland cloud forests
0: i'm curious to know in the the time that you spent researching this book what was some something or a few things that really surprised you as you were learning about coffee
1: well within the forest um this idea that the coffee forest is just chaos and there's just trees everywhere and uh, you know the trees are bent down um from people picking them but also from the animals you know the these ripe fruits are um beloved by uh, ba- you know baboons certain oh. monkeys um and lots of birds um and th- these are a big threat or uh, you know people that are collecting the fruits uh, uh, um, competition if you want to call that but also these animals are responsible for sowing um, the seeds around the forest so certain certain birds in particular they pick them up and they 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 carry the fruits and they eat it and they they drop the seed and you know new trees sprout up around.
0: Uh, I'm thinking now about coffee that is poured into a paper cup and covered with a plastic lid. Can you talk a little about how the cloud canopy tree is now somewhere so far from its original ambiance?
1: Yeah, it it has changed, but I guess what was interesting, though, is that... In its wild state, coffee is extremely similar to cultivated coffee. I think – in fact, I think it's one of the products I would say that is the most similar to the, you know, wildly commercial cultivated um, crop. You know, you take like carrots or something. I mean they're unrecognizable from what we're getting now. Um while that we're drinking coffee differently is interesting, that it remains so similar. You know, so you go into this cloud forest, and the actual coffee beans that you or the the coffee fruits you're collecting are quite similar. It's the trees that are different, as I said earlier. They're skinny; they grow upwards towards the light, and they're producing very, very little. Um, but the the cherries, the coffee cherries themselves, are surprisingly similar.
0: Now, this is. Uh a primary uh, raw material grown in a certain part of the world and consumed in another part of the world. The Ethiopians actually drink this primary resource. Yes, it, 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 it,
1: this, is certain, this is one material. thing that, that's very different is that, you know, Kenya, for instance, it consumes only about 3% of its own coffee. Um, I think Colombia is around 86% of its coffee is being exported. Ethiopia is different. Ethiopia is consuming over half of its production. And this is the country, this is one of the biggest producers in the world. Um, they, they consume a lot of it. Now, this idea that it is by and large produced in you know poor countries and exported into richer ones um, is quite different than, for instance, rice or wheat. And this is one of the reasons why... The, the, they were called. Uh, it's called an orphan crop. So there was often little invested into um, the research and development of it. Where you take rice, for instance, that is you know grown and consumed in say Japan or China and in many countries. They were growing it and consuming it, and they had the money or the the, the resources uh, to. You do lots of research and seeds and so on. Coffee is very different. You know, it, it didn't, there's not that kind of central body or, trish, there, there, until recently, it wasn't a kind of a big central body, really. There's no Monsanto for coffee. Um, another thing is that there's really no market for for the seeds. You know, a farmer will simply take, um, the, you know, the seeds from uh, the best producing trees and kind of replant those. Um, there's another reason, but it's, it's very different. Um, been neglected for a long time, and this is something that the scientific community is, you know, uh, very much aware of. And the, many people say to you, "We're 20 years too late." I mean, it, this is something that, you know, trying to fight, um, you know, climate change and certain diseases. Now they say, "Well, you know, we, I wish we would have done this two decades ago, but we didn't have that central organization to kind of help coordinate it."
0: Why was there no central organization?
1: Well, it was because of this. I mean, it was largely, you know, being produced in countries. um didn't have the resources. And the big ones like Brazil and Colombia tended to do a lot of the research for their own um, coffee sectors. So you had a lot of smaller countries that didn't really have the resources um, for that.
0: So let's talk about Brazil for a moment. How much of the coffee production is consumed by Brazilians. Uh,
1: that I'm not sure, I, 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 that I, I, I don't know. Um, but you know, Brazil is the world's largest producer of coffee and the world's largest producer of Arabica. It is by far the the biggest producer of of, of coffee. And it's also one of the areas or one of the countries that is particularly threatened um, by climate change. You know, the the most, Recent or some of the most recent studies basically have said that uh, an increase of two to two point five degrees Celsius would would trim perhaps by fifty percent the land suitable for growing coffee by twenty fifty. Now, Brazil that basically produces half of the world's arabica and about a third of the total coffee, um, a rise of three degrees Celsius would cut um, studies show about two thirds of the available growing land in the main, one of the principal growing regions of, of the country. Um, it's a very big issue. And this is simultaneously going on with demand, which is growing like crazy. So, where it is Yes, um, and you know, old um, where they got old consumers. So say consumers in the U.S. It's been coffee? a long time producing, um, just- consuming country. Uh, it's increasing. You know, the millennials are drinking more coffee than their parents are drinking earlier than their parents, and then drinking better coffee. Um, and then you have all these newer countries. You know, uh, India, for instance, uh, is you know, coffee is booming in India. Um, it's huge. Yeah, it's kind of growing all over the world. So demand is um, increasing, and um, at the same time when the earth is really saying, you know, slow down. It, basically, demand is saying by 2030, production will have to increase by one third. Or, or, or if you look at it this way, it has to increase by the same amount that Brazil is producing today. That's it's a huge, it's a huge uh, increase. So r- rather than decreasing production, which is really what, you know, we need to do because when when you – Decreasing production, um, uh, by, by that I mean, not just some less planting, but if you start producing coffee, for instance, with more shade, a lot more shade grown coffee, um, you start decreasing the yields. So if, if a farmer switches to you know, producing coffee under heavy shade, maybe organic farming, maybe they're going to lose 30% um, of what they're farming now. So the, you know, they, they it looks
0: like it. It looks like there are real problems coming down the road because the heat, global heating, global warming, will affect coffee production, and uh, monocultures are always vulnerable, and that's the character of, of
1: South. Yes. And Arabica in particular is really vulnerable because it's genetically impoverished. One, because of its history, how it's spread. And second, it's self-pollinating. I
0: um, I wonder if you could explain what you mean by self-pollinating and non-self-pollinating.
1: Um, yes. Robusta um, needs another plan. Uh, Let me back up here. Um self-pollinating basically is that it can reproduce itself. Uh, they think it's not exactly known, but maybe 90% of the time, something like that. Um, it 95% maybe. Um, robusta is different. It needs to be cross-pollinated. And when you cross-pollinate, uh, you get an almost unlimited number of kind of what they call genotypes. And this means that almost every tree is a little bit different. So basically the trees that, you know, can succeed and adapt to certain changes, survive and pass on those traits. Um, Arabica being, you know, self-pollinating is much more sensitive um, and much less able to withstand, you know, whether it's the heat or certain diseases that come through.
0: They they could all just die. In other words, they cannot uh, benefit from um, traits that would exist in certain uh, certain plants, but not in others.
1: Yes, I mean I mean this for for any species. This is genetic, you know, diversity is absolutely fundamental in in survival.
0: What do you think the approaches to this problem? how successful are they well this so it's it's not only uh,
1: simply a matter of of heat because the climate change is making um a disease called coffee leaf rust um is is aggravating it's making it um, uh, spread faster and quicker and this this rust is really one of the biggest threats for Ar- arabica um it's been around for you know last handful of decades, um, and you know in Latin America, which produces about 85% of, of the Arabica, um, this is a really big issue. It's it's not a uh, something that can be um, cured. It it can be dealt with, but it's it's not going to go away. Um, and you know part of dealing with that is you know n- not monocultural farming, but you know, more for instance if you farm with a lot of shade trees closer to what you get, you know, in the original forest of Ethiopia, it can help a bit with the with the increase of heat, but can also perhaps help a little bit with the with the coffee rusting and this kind of monoculture that you kind of mentioned is always more susceptible to to problems.
0: I'm wondering if increasing the cost of coffee at the consumer level would have any effect.
1: Well, if you one of the big issues as I mentioned earlier is that if you if a farmer is suddenly plants a lot of trees and is growing, you know, really heavy shade grown coffee, maybe the production is going to go down 20 30% and that farmer needs a way to make up that money. You just can't say to a farmer, you know, plant all these trees you're going to you're going to lose 30% of your yield, um but that's how it is. you, you have to offer that farmer a way to make up that 30%. Um, but there, there's no system at the moment to, you know, to offer that. I mean, I, obviously I think in the future, I think that there, there could be or needs to be a way to somehow, some premium for much more environmentally friendly coffees. Um, I think people would, would pay. I mean, we, we don't want to pay more than for our coffee than, than we have to, um, but there's going to have to be some hard decisions made, um, some sort of, you know, in in the past, it's, it's been the past, you know, say 10 years, people said, would well, Brazil can just make it up. But, you know, Brazil is having their own issues with drought um, and, and the heat. And it has to be dealt with. But as I said, there was no major cent, central organization 20 years ago saying well we're going to deal with this in the future Let, let's do this you know this is something that's now come about there's a couple of agencies now that have kind of uh, taking trying to take control and trying to get funding from the industry from companies like starbucks or um you know large companies that you know their the livelihood is in coffee to try to deal with this one you know issue of coffee is that um, it takes a number of generations. You know, we, we say you have a, a new plant that is maybe a little bit more um, stronger against a certain disease or, or something. It it takes three or four years for each generation to grow. before, And it, it takes you, you know, a handful of generations of a tree before you can know um, if it's successful or not. And so you're talking, you know, in some cases... You know fifteen twenty years before you can get these kind of new plants out to a farmer and in, and in today 's scenario, like a lot of science will say it just is not going not going to work um, and so science is coming in now um, sequencing the genome and so on to try to help speed up this process a little bit, making certain choices um, for the scientific community a little bit easier but it 's as I said, a lot of people say we should have done this twenty years ago, and we should have been where we are right now twenty years ago you know this is it's kind of overtaken a little bit um it's it's pretty it's pretty severe I mean the problems that are happening in a lot of countries you know with with uh, arabica
0: yeah, here are two things that occur to me. the first thing is people are paying more for coffee because people are buying as you say better quality coffee uh special the 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 definition of coffee as being special has just triumphed and then the other thing is like many other crops uh basic food crops rice and corn uh global crops uh we can't just say now grow twice as much as you have been growing on your farm
1: well the 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 largest growing sector of the coffee industry is the specialty coffee industry. You know, people are drinking better coffee, which is great. Everybody wants the best coffee. Um and people are paying a lot more for the, the cups of coffee. But actually on the you know on the commodities market, the 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 price of coffee is actually quite low. Um I mean certainly there's a famous six dollar cups of coffee now, but that that's not reflected in you know many farms y Yerga chefe is probably the most famous coffee producing area in Ethiopia. some of the most expensive coffees some of the, the most celebrated coffees in the world are coming out of Yurga chefe and you go to Yurga chefe and it's it's just as impoverished um as as anywhere, and the farmers are making almost nothing um you know the the money is it doesn't really trickle down so well um,
0: isn't this the thing that has to change
1: uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it seems there has to be some some big, so some large and some difficult decisions made, uh, you know, to help finance um, some of this and to, to kind of make it more feasible to alter kind of a, a, a style of farming. How that's going to come out. I don't know. I mean, if, if the major companies, um, you know, say well, we're going to offer this premium and put it towards that, you know, Nestle. Uh, controls forty some percent of the global coffee market, and the is another company called JEB that controls almost an equal amount of it. I mean, it's two companies that are controlling <laughs> almost the entire world's coffee market. Um you know, it, it's up to end in Starbucks. It's up to some big companies to, I would say, step in because there's not really a governmental agency that's there that's going to instigate it or police it. Uh,
0: so the, the the fact that it's been uh, the the problems involved with coffee production are always being dealt with nationally but not internationally Uh, research and uh fao you would think the united nations food and agricultural organization would be playing a role in this do they have a role in it um well they certainly they were you know they, they
1: they were the ones behind you know in the middle of them 20th century in the, in the in the 1940s they basically had said you know coffee is the world's second largest commodity at that point yet we know almost nothing about it in the wild and they uh, the FAO they sponsored um, a couple of trips into Ethiopia into the wild forest um, to try to collect as much of that um, of, of the wild and well actually from all over Ethiopia but they were the ones in that instigated these, these major um, expeditions of gathering uh, at that time.
0: Was that the gathering expedition of Frederick uh, Meyer?
1: Right. There, there was a, f- a couple in there. And those, you know, the, the resources that they gathered, they're still using in breeding purposes. I mean, it, it, it they really didn't know anything about it. Um, and they continue to um, use the, the resources gathered, you know, back um, 50, 60 years ago.
0: So so actually, there was research, but it's just old. and And it has... That's not been ongoing.
1: Yeah, they, and and they they helped, but it it, it tends to be national. Um, on, on the national level, you know, they, they there was some help. Um, in some uh, countries in some areas and they established in costa rica um you know uh, there was a major international and uh, Catia was established center but largely it's you know brazil has its national industry and does its research for brazilian farmers colombia handles colombia um but where there used to be you know the every coast of these countries some of these countries you know especially after uh, independence um uh, there was you know not that much money for the research and development, um, in some of' these really be really smaller countries
0: so that is part of the problem that the resources uh, in the producing countries are not there
1: right but it, even even today you know s- s- scientists, you know, some scientists said to me you know it's only a matter of numbers you know you, you develop a new um, you know strain of rice and, and you, you have a lot of there's a lot of funding, but with coffee i mean is you, who who's going to give it to you
0: i would like to keep on talking about coffee for another few hours, but we are going to, instead, uh, I'd like to ask you what lays ahead beyond coffee for you? Do you have a new project you're working on? Not
1: yet. I mean, uh, it, I, uh, my, my, my last book was about tea and, um, so we did tea and that, that book, you know, was basically about a plant that wasn't from a place and was smuggled out and planted elsewhere and it found its perfect home and the story about, you know, why it's there and how it got there and the culture that developed around it and the problems today. Um, And so when I was working on that, I thought a lot about things in their origin which is what led to the coffee book, because this the, the, this book is in many ways the opposite story. It's it's about the plant looking at it in its natural home, um, in in Ethiopia. Um, and so you know, looking at plant at tea I and mean, then at coffee, I mean, it's hard for me not to also think about um, the story of chocolate or, or cacao. I think is you know, as soon as I can find an interesting way to tell that story, it's something I would love to do.